This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at MedEdMedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler, and it is our first recording of the new year, 2020. And if you believe that a decade begins when the tens digit changes, it's a new decade as well. If you believe that it's not a new decade yet because there was no year zero, and thus a decade begins at the year one, you are a monster. (laughs) Uh, But whatever your beliefs, we've taken another step into the future. Uh, and here with me to celebrate that is second year MD PhD student Miranda Skeen. Hello, hello. Welcome back to my old friend M2 Daniel Sayed. Sayed. Hello. Did I do that right? Sayed. My old friend whose name yeah. I still can't pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> and just call me Carl, honestly. I'll yeah. respond to anything. Talk here. into the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're exactly. movable for a reason. Do this, do this and that. Whoa. There you go. Okay. That should be better. All right. Um, uh, my good friend, Daniel Syed, who doesn't know how microphones work. <laughs> <laughs> and there are some new co-hosts today. Mahek Shahid. Hello, I'm excited to be here. Excellent. And Art th- uh, Thanupacorn. Th- oh ah. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Thanupacorn. That's right. <laughs> Both of you are M2s as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you for uh, for joining us for the first time. I don't know what the heck you've been doing with your lives. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it's been booked, you know. It's, it's not really up to me to, to criticize. Uh, okay, so you're all M2s, um, which is strange, uh, but I think what, I know what's going on here. This, uh, this uh, week, you've been uh, lapping up that part of the curriculum we call Transitions uh, Week, which represents your the first uh, personal step you'll make into your the future of your clinical rotations interesting phrasing but accurate uh how, how <laughs> uh i'm a master of interesting and not necessarily correct <laughs> phrasing. How, how uh how was it how was uh, transitions week it was long long at times day one was all classes which yeah. that was a, that was a long day yeah but then after that we, they broke it up here and there yeah. so yeah the first day was all about it was it was kind of nuts and bolts stuff right i mean mm-hmm. very yeah yeah um, and then, and then, uh, one of the more interesting things I saw in your schedule was breaking bad news or, or with delivering bad yeah. news. They yeah. call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, what, what was that all about? That was essentially just training in, you know, if you have to tell a patient, you know, that they have bad lab results or that something has gone wrong, then, you know, they're basically just, it's essentially just practice in delivering that kind of news because it can be rough. So it's nice to get it out of the way one time before you actually have to do it with a patient so do they they have uh basically scenarios yeah um mm-hmm. and standardized patients that you interact with mm-hmm. whether what was the with our easier ones harder ones i thought uh, they were all pretty challenging in their own ways some were definitely way harder than others mm-hmm. i actually thought it was one of the best most well done things we've done period in med school oh. so far because they do a really yeah, good job they did a they, very they did good, such a good job basically yeah. you have the simulated patient you go into a room with and you know they're actors you don't even though you kind of know the situation is fake like the material is so intense and the acting is so intense that you really get a feel for what this could be like in the real world there were definitely people who are actually like students who are actually crying just watching the interview or actually doing some of those interviews because <laughs> they were really intense really yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And I also liked that there was such a variety. I mean, there was kind of your, I hesitate to say classic, but the classic when people think of breaking bad news, that's the, oh, you have cancer news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was one like that where it's like a classic, you, we found lung cancer on your uh, biopsy. But there was also, for example, there was a scenario where a patient found out that he had tested positive for gonorrhea and this patient had not was married and had not slept with anyone other than his wife so that was a more angry reaction of like lashing out and how do you deal with that scenario where a patient is being threatening it's a little double whammy (laughs) there exactly i'll share my experience with the the lung cancer one so my my patient had lung cancer and so i actually thought it was pretty easy i i learned the key to it was um there's there's so much power in silence and so like well at, at first i just like hey you know what brings you in 
and then they you know they were like yeah there's results that that i that it um you have for me and yeah so the moment i kind of broke the word cancer the the patient just well yeah she just kind of backed off and got really quiet and um i mean that's when i kind of just got really quiet too and uh yeah so there was there was that power of of being quiet in that scenario mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's hard to be quiet mm-hmm. yeah well our, um, it's a, that's a skill in and of itself i think yeah well i was just gonna say i it wasn't only about learning about how you would deliver the bad news and how the patient would react to it but i also learned a lot about myself and how i grieve with the patient when i was telling a grandmother that her grandson had um passed away from sids oh mm. you had the sids case yeah oh, i felt really bad for the people that got the sids case right right Oh, so you all didn't even yeah. get to do the same No, we cases. all had different ones. But we all got to watch. We were in a group of four, yes. and basically we would watch when one person went to do a case, we would be watching through a video camera like in the other room. Oh, okay, yeah. Be spying on them. <laughs> so so what what was what were what were you expected to do when in in these situations? What what exactly were you I mean, were you just expected to like do your best and then they would talk about Basically, it? Basically, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no kind of correct I mean, there are cor- incorrect ways to deliver bad news <laughs> as yeah. Suck it up, gonorrhea boy. <laughs> <laughs> like we had our example when we were first being taught this of like, here's how not to do it. And we had a guy walk in, it's like, Yeah, so uh you have brain cancer and we're gonna schedule for surgery and she's like, Am I gonna die? And he's well, we're all gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> the thing see? is I wouldn't be surprised if that I mean, in the yeah. range of human behavior, mm. that oh, yeah. would be one kind of behavior that somebody out there would mm-hmm. exhibit. Oh, yeah. sure. Well, he said it was based on things that had been reported or things that he'd mm-hmm. seen. So, mm-hmm. like, maybe not all in one person, but no. like, <laughs> wow. Okay, well, that's uh, that sounds very interesting. Um, I, I intended to uh, go to one of these things, and and then I got busy, and so I wasn't able to do it. So I'm glad we could. Yeah. Glad we could uh, we could talk about it a little bit. I'm glad we're so important to you. You uh, you yeah. know what I like <laughs> knowing. I like knowing what's going on around me. Mm. I feel like that would have scared me if you were if you were watching mine. If you really? <laughs> I'm a very, I mean, I'm a scary figure here. At the... I mean, it was scary enough with like our classmates watching us and, and the facilitator and the facilitator. Mm. Yeah. I had a really nice facilitator, so I was okay with it. But yeah, okay. Well, we've got a listener question. Uh, Here's one from a med student that would like to remain anonymous. So I'll call her Pipette Legogateur. Help. I am a current first year medical student looking to do a summer research project. However, I don't even know where to begin. I would like to do something that I can finish in the summer within eight weeks and hopefully be first author of. I feel lost without any experience generating a research idea or cold emailing professors. I did contact my school's research department, but they want me to have a set idea before consultation. Hmm. Uh, so, I, you know, schools do things differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the thing that puzzled me, I mean, there's a lot to unpack in this question. The thing that puzzled me about how her school does it was they want you to have an idea. Yeah, I mean, I've heard of programs like that. It kind of depends on what the program specifically is, but I have heard of things that are like, we kind of want you to know at least what area, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that would be, you know, kind of the where most schools would do it you yeah. know like we uh, want you to have some some you know you can't just go into any place yeah at right. the very least if you're going in through like a standardized program where or like something that the college is set up they might want you to have a concrete idea mm-hmm. but that's to be like first author right like is this do you think this is well she wants to be first, to be author, first author i have yeah. such bad news for you that, <laughs> 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 that poor pipette i mean i i'm sorry i i realize that like getting first author is kind of a thing and i'll be honest i don't have a lot of experience in medical research most of my experience is in basic science but coming in and not really having any background in research which it sounds like she doesn't which is my understanding from the question yeah that's kind of not reasonable to expect if you find the right project you can maybe get an authorship on a paper which would still be mm-hmm. a good thing but to come in and be like i want uh, some project that i can be done with in eight weeks and that i can get first author on is pretty unrealistic for your first time out now uh, we should say that we should say that um with the exception of art you guys have done uh research in you know research during the summer mm-hmm. um 
so you kind of sort of know what's going on. Yeah. So let me share my perspective. So um, kind of like what we no, were talking. No, you know what? I I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fine. Okay, we can move on. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so um, uh, here at Carver, so we have a summer research fellowship program. So mm -hmm. that's a very, um, I think it's a very structured program where you can come in. You don't necessarily need to have an, a specific idea going in, and there are people who can maybe help you reach out to mentors, uh, potential research like faculty, and that sort of thing. If it sounds like you don't have that available at your school, at least not to the same extent, so. Really, I know cold emailing can sound scary, but that can really be your friend because mm -hmm. that's probably the best way to find someone. So if they're even if you're not sure what you're interested in, just, you know, just try to spend some time brainstorming. You know, what could I possibly be interested in doing and just go around? You can just go to department websites, see what's uh, what's going on in those and just try to email the head of the lab, you know, of those relevant labs and just say that you're a medical student who's interested in doing research for a summer. And I think. I think, at least in my experience, people are very willing to either say like, yeah, okay, we could potentially meet about this, or like, I know someone who could use some extra mm -hmm. help and maybe point you in that direction. You know, about the first authorship, I will say, you know, it's not something that you should go in saying, I, that's like, I need to have this, but I do think that if you have a, if it's like a clinical study, like based project, like some sort of clinical review, and you have basically you have a very competent mentor who's sort of has a good plan going forward like i think I actually and who think already is, has data yeah potentially a lot of times right or in some yeah in some cases you can find that situation where they do have data but like i think it is possible to actually turn around something in a couple months and get first authorship it's not something mm. you should go in expecting but um basically what you want to do is like once you have a list of people who are interested in you know, who you who are interested in having you try to figure out, OK, who's the one who seems to be the most like have the most done already or would be has seems to have the best plan on what needs to be done. Because if you have a mentor with a really good plan, even if the data hasn't been collected yet, like if they know what they're doing and it's very standard from them, you can get that work done pretty quickly. Actually, that's a good point, because I think uh, for a lot of projects, no matter what they are, mm -hmm. the planning is the part that takes the most um, you can. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, a lot of the time the planning for research probably would take a very long time, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, mean, so it's when a lot of the skull sweat takes place in the beginning. Um, and if that's already out of the way, mm -hmm. but then you're not going to be first author. Mm -hmm. well, so it can have like, if they can, if they tell, well, if what I mean by planning is if they can tell you exactly what analysis is to do, oh, okay. you can like, I, I have friends who, you know, in a couple of months they can stuck, they're the ones doing all the work, but they put in, you know, they really work hard during that time and they're yeah. able to get it done. One last comment. If you don't have very many opportunities available at your school, there are also a lot of nationwide research, like programs that will take medical students. So, and so for instance, I had a friend who did this geriatrics program at Johns Hopkins. I think it was called like STAR or something. They have a lot of different participating medical schools and a lot of different research areas. So I would look around. There are lots of opportunities outside of individual schools. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that if you don't want to cold email also, I went into professors' offices and asked them if they had any research ideas because I didn't know of any of my own and I didn't have a strong research background. So that's another option that you could look into. Yeah. I, I think um, uh, one of the things that, uh, one, of the, one of the interesting ideas um, from uh, Aline uh, in, our, in our Facebook co-host group, she, she suggested... Go back and look at your first year lectures, which were the ones, mm -hmm. which were the lecturers and lectures that you found that in your memory are the most interesting. Um, and then reach out to those lecturers and say, you know, like, are they, are you looking for someone uh, for the summer? Um, do they, do you have research questions that you think I can answer or help answer this summer? Mm -hmm. um, so that was another interesting idea that. Yeah. And even if they aren't necessarily accepting medical students for research, they'll probably be able to point you in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Because especially if they're lecturers in the medical school, it's a lot less intimidating to email them. Mm -hmm. And they're also a lot more like they want to help. They you. do. They, they really do want to help you. Yeah. I'm, so. it, it, it's there's a I think there's a there's sort of a culture in in research of paying it forward mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, to, to sort of cultivate the next generation. So really don't be shy about reaching out and asking for 
for help because people are out there who want to help you. You're, I would be cognizant of the fact that, um, the help that you can provide might be, um, minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so don't go in. It's like a lot of things with meds, with being a med student or a pre-med, you know, don't go in thinking you're going to save the world. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that's unrealistic and might be kind of obnoxious, <laughs> um, depending on the circumstances. And I would also say that I would caution against trying to pick a lab that you think is going to have like, is for example, if you find a lab that you think you could generate, you know, a full turnaround project in eight weeks, but you hate it, I would go for something that you maybe might not get, you know, a first authorship out of, or maybe the whole project won't get finished in the time that you're there. But like, find something that you're interested in because that can be a foundation that you can build on later in your career mm-hmm. as opposed to something that you hate there. It's like, ah, oh, I just got to throw this away for a thing. Like everything else in medicine, in, <laughs> in medical education, it's kind of about the long game. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you know, if you're just looking for short term gains, yeah, okay, well that's all right. But yeah. yeah. So my, my question is if look, going back to the first authorship, uh, my, the main question I have is how, how beneficial is that to, to have it as an M1 to the first authorship and you know potentially have the the stress that goes along with that or not completing it first yeah i guess not yeah not having a first author it's a lot of pressure to put yourself yeah. under yeah. and like if you're going into especially i know there's some residencies that require you know you to have some kind of published work or something like that i don't know how it works that's not my specialty but um <laughs> like you can take time in your like selectives i believe to do research so i my other advice might be to take this summer and just get any research experience and be mm-hmm. like, just look for projects you're interested in. Then you can go back later when you have more time and you have more resources and actually like do a project that could get published. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, first authorship, it helps, but I, I think it's a bit overrated. I think people, you know, a lot of med students, you know, we come from this very sort of like type A, you know, have to be the best of the best background. So they see, you know, we see that as like a, you know, an extra you know, point you have to check off. But really, if it's a research project that you can talk very passionately about, I think that's worth way more to you than first authorship on a paper. I don't think it's that big of a deal as long Absolutely. as you're involved in the research and you care about it and you can speak about, you know, you can speak enthusiastically about it. I think that's what really matters. And especially if it's something that you like enough that you end up continuing on and doing more stuff. Expanding with. on and yeah. Yeah. It'll be a big red flag if you like have a first authorship and someone asks about you on that on the residency interviews and you're like, oh, I don't know. It was a thing like that's going to be kind of a red flag for whoever's mm-hmm. interviewing you. So, well, that, yeah, that brings up a point, which is why are you, why do you want to do this? I mean, you, you the, if we read between the lines of your question, um, you don't already have experience in research, which is fine. You know, yeah. if you really want to get into research, then you should, you know, absolutely uh, pursue this, but it's not your only path to get a CV builder, for instance, you know, if that's what you're interested in, then, you know, I guess I'm, you know, I I guess you could do a lot of things that would accomplish that. Yeah. Right. I mean, does that make sense? It is. Although I'm given to understand that that's kind of just unfortunately the way some residents work. Like I think for orthopedic surgery, that's just the only one that comes to my mind. They actually do require research, even though it's not a research heavy specialty. So, well, yeah, but you still have four years to kind of figure that out. Exactly. Like, you know, so if I plan on going again, haven't done any research, if there's a specialty that definitely needs research and, and I'm interested in some, like I, I, I plan on starting research come second half of um, my third year. Sure. Something yeah. like that. But she already, maybe she already knows she wants to do whatever specialty yeah. that requires research. So yeah, I guess that's like, reasonable. Mm-hmm. Same guess- for the others that haven't done research yet. Don't, don't be too afraid about yeah. it yeah yeah and it's also possible that down the road you'll even be offered opportunities to do research when working with clinicians like you know i was doing shadowing and neurosurgery just like a few months ago and basically the guy i was working with he like he showed me like he was doing this certain kind of operation and he said literally we've done like maybe 20 of them at these hosp- at this hospital if you can just like the de- like it's already been done the data is there like in the medical records if you could just like assimilate sort of like assimilate it and like run some statistics on it or whatever then you know this would be a paper and i think at the time i had my own project so like i didn't take up take that offer up but you know those kinds of things might pop up for you and you might decide okay this might be 
something that I want to do. <laughs> so don't feel, I think it's a very good idea to start exploring research as soon as possible if it's something you think you might be interested in, but you don't need to feel intensely pressured to find, you know, a project that you're going to get a publication on mm-hmm. right away. Definitely agree. One thing that Iowa just started this year was we, or they sent us an email to see about getting a mentor in a certain specialty that you're in, interested in. And yeah, they want you to get specialty specific. They call them specialty specific um, mentors, uh, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and for me, one thing is ENT and, you know, so through that, again, I don't know if, if this person's school has something similar to the mentor mentee. Um, but yeah, I I was able to talk with the physician I was paired with and be like, Hey, if this is something I really want to do, um, can you help me get research? And and that was one easy path to look into with that. Anything else we want to say about this? Do you think? I mean, good luck. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we're, we're rooting for you. Yeah. I mean, we're not, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, none of this is to discourage you from reaching for the stars or anything. Um, you know, when we say, you know, uh, maybe first authorship is out of reach at this point or might be, um, Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with tempering your expectations. There's yeah, nothing yeah. wrong with reaching for things, but like my it, it, my it, experience, it, if you want to get something that's like super out there and hard to attain, it's just you're kind of setting yourself up for disappointment. You're going to miss opportunity. You may also miss opportunities. Exactly. That you're so mm-hmm. do exist for you. Yeah. 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 Um, well, good. Thanks for your question, Pipette. Uh, Thanks, Pipette. Also, great name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Shortcoats, we love your questions. If you have a question, we can help you with. Be it about medical school or your pre-medical endeavors or your romantic problems. Or even if you have a question that we I don't can't think we've, help you with. Yeah. <laughs> we probably won't, yeah. but we'll try. Uh, call 347-SHORT-CT, leave us a voicemail message, or email the shortcoats at gmail.com. We'll talk about it on the show. From our Don't Get Sick in Romania department, <laughs> this, this past uh, December, a cancer patient undergoing surgery for her pancreatic cancer caught fire during her operation. Uh, surgeons at the Floriesca Hospital in Bucharest were using an electric scalpel during the procedure. It came into contact with the alcohol-based disinfectant they'd used on the woman and started a fire. Uh, sadly, the uh, woman later died of her burns, which covered 40% of her body. Seems like a foreseeable uh, problem. I mean, you say that, but I feel like I've heard of this before because like the OR has, it has alcohol-based things, it has oxygen going, it's got like cauterizing things, which are super hot and also electrical. Like it, I I know that I have heard of patients in the mm-hmm. OR getting set on fire. I, kn- I know it happened in Grey's Anatomy, which <laughs> must, be real, must be a real thing. <laughs> It's but, definitely, uh, yeah. definitely. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't be Is surprised there? if that's not something that I mean, I'm sure not a common thing, but yeah. something that happens. So, 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 so this just occurred to me. Is, is this possible? Um, you, you use an electrocautery instrument on an intestine, and the methane gases catch fire. Is that, <laughs> is that I, possible? That feels is that, not okay. Accurate. That, I mean, <laughs> we maybe, can test but, it. I mean, if. We, <laughs> I'm sure if that were true, then they'd have precautions or something, but... Well, I mean, I, I, from this, reading this story, I understand that, uh, uh, first of all, uh, using surgical procedures that use an electric scalpel and alcohol disinfectants are prohibited in Romania. Mm. Um, those, ah. two, those two just don't really well, that, that could, uh, go together. I'm sure they're <laughs> prohibited elsewhere, too. It just seems uh, like a bad idea. Mm. I guess if the patient had just downed, like, 30 shots right before going into the OR, then that could potentially... All right, I'll make sure to remember that. <laughs> yeah, so don't, guys, if I ever don't need drink, surgery. Don't drink six bottles of vodka before going in. Is that why they say not to eat or drink 24 hours before the, <laughs> exactly. the surgery? Okay. That would be a lot more convincing on the informed consent form. Yeah. Like, don't eat anything or we might don't set eat, you on yes. fire. Don't anything flammable. Uh, yeah, Romania has a pretty underdeveloped hospital system. There are shortages of medical mm-hmm. staff. Um, it spends the least of any EU country on its healthcare system. So oh. I, I guess uh, accidents can happen anywhere, but yeah. Um, well, good luck modernizing your healthcare system, Romania. <laughs>
<laughs> a study in the Journal of the American. I just want to say we're saying this coming from America, so I don't know how. I mean, Are, am I being yeah. snotty? Yeah. Am I being snotty? <laughs> it's like we really like, have no, 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 no leg like, to stand we, on. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. we, we have a leg to stand on, but it's not a very powerful mm. or well-developed leg. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we spend the most money on it. So. <laughs> yeah. Did you do a PubMed research as as to if that happens in America? Uh, I think uh, the longer you're on the show, Art, you'll realize that uh, my research skills. <laughs> <laughs> and that because I prepare the show on Friday mornings, literally hours before we record. No, that is the answer. A uh, study in uh, the Journal of the American Medical Association, Internal Medicine, has found that old habits die hard, at least when it comes to giving pelvic exams and pap smears to young women and girls. The standard of care used to be that everyone gets a pelvic exam, I guess. Oh, yes. Before we move on. It's too late. I'm sorry. It's okay. I think this is important information okay. because I don't want to say that, oh, yeah, that happens all the time. It's Grey's Anatomy. It's real. No. Okay. Because according to the ECRI Institute, um, approximately 550 to 600 surgical fires occur each year. And that's defined as fires that occur in, on, or around a patient undergoing a medical or surgical procedure. Goodness gracious. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, so the moral of the story is never have anything go wrong with your body. Yeah. <laughs> you will be set on fire. <laughs> set on fire. Stay, stay healthy. <laughs> Just stay healthy out there, gang. Okay, sorry. Now, that, now proceed. That's right. Uh, yeah, I'll start again. Uh, a study in the Journal of the American Medical Association Internal Medicine has found that old habits die hard, at least when it comes to giving pelvic exams and pap smears uh, to young women and girls. Um, the standard of care used to be that everyone gets a pelvic exam, I guess. Um, but in 2009, ACOG, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, stopped recommending them for people under 21 unless their condition actually warrants it, like they're pregnant or they're getting an IUD or something along those lines. Uh, basically, it's just not a useful screening tool for problems in young people. It leads to false positives and overdiagnosis and anxiety, uh, unnecessary costs, things like that. Um, many women find uh, pelvic exams uncomfortable, even painful, so that's even more of a reason not to uh, do it when you don't need to. Unfortunately, looking at survey data from 2011 to 2017, they found that very few respondents aged 15 to 20 were treated for STIs, pregnancy, or IDs. But in that time frame, 2.6 million girls and young women reported getting a pelvic exam, a pelvic exam, and 2.2 million said they had had pap smears. Um, the team doesn't really know why these procedures are still so prevalent in that age group um, after more than 10 years of the ACOG not recommending them. I feel like the the first thing that comes to mind is that I feel like it's it's pretty common to to hear stories where, oh, yeah, this, the, the doctor's just kind of stuck in their ways mm -hmm. type of mentality. Yeah. And it, and it happens in a, in a lot of places. Um, that I, and hopefully as, as time continues on and, and as, um, people continue to learn the, the right methods, then it would go down. But yeah, I don't know. As the older yeah. doctors retire <laughs> and <laughs> so. give way to the newer doctors who have been trained differently. Yeah. That's right. And yeah. it makes me think that I, I probably, uh, it's probably harder to convince doctors to s stop doing something that's preventative than try to get them to start doing something where it's like, I, I can see me being a paranoid person. I would be like, well, they don't recommend it, but you have these risk factors and I'm nervous about it. So let like, let's just go ahead and do a pelvic and you don't really stop to consider, well, I could also be diagnosing this person with something they don't have. So, yeah. So, so like I'm not well read on you know the research you know behind this, but even if it's something, even if this public exam is unlikely to catch something you know in this age group or whatever, right? If the patient is there for her physical and you can perform basically for free, this like you can like you can just do this visual exam or you can do this smear that's I'm you know hopefully is relatively cheap just to make just to make sure that's not happening. I think that. Yeah, I can see why someone would do that because you don't want to be you don't want to miss that one in 1000 one in 10,000 chance that they do have something detectable. Well, the thing is, is that my I'm given to understand that the reason they stopped recommending it is because even if there is a problem, like if there is some kind of like ovarian mass or a cervical cancer, it's not going to show up for like several years after the initial insult, like in the case of cervical cancer, like I think the you don't really see any change until a while after you have the actual virus. So it's like, there's no real point in doing a pap smear. Mm -hmm. So this is my understanding. I'm, I'm reminded of uh, the procedure that uh, people, my men, boys, my age used to go through the whole turn your head and cough thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't think they do that anymore. 
We weren't mm -hmm. taught it in our pelvic exam. Are you? Yeah. Well. <laughs> no, wait. Yes, we were. It was the I think, thing to check we for were, a hernia. Yeah, we were taught. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, hernia, yeah, the yeah, hernia yeah, check. check. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Do they still do that? I don't know. No, I mean, <laughs> maybe some people do. I'm not a man. Uh, I've heard. Know. I've heard of friends my age that have gotten that done okay. for hernia check. Mm -hmm. Well, but yeah, I, I, I'm yeah. pretty sure that it's not. Um, it, it's not advised anymore. Mm -hmm. um, it's not recommended anymore. Really? Why not? Uh, I don't know, but I believe I read it on the <laughs> internet. <laughs> somewhere mm -hmm. i could be wrong uh if i am um send us send we're you know write in and tell me <laughs> um but yeah this is just off the top of my head the, yeah. the authors pointed out i don't know how i feel about this but the authors pointed out that um you know uh, another possible the, the the implication was and i feel like uh the, the reporter might have been reaching a little bit but the implication was that you know with high profile sex abuse cases like larry nasser um, of the Olympics, uh, mm -hmm. the, the Olympics gymnastic team in the news. It's probably better to that patients know uh, that they don't need this, mm -hmm. um, and that if they want to, if the doctor wants to do that, they should ask about yeah. it. Which I guess makes sense. I, I mean, you know, I just don't know about the exact uh, line drawn between one and mm -hmm. the other. Yeah, that the I mean, reporter tried to. I definitely think that the author is reaching, but this brings up a point where, I mean, the authors are right that pelvic exams freaking suck. And especially if you're not super comfortable with that area of your body, like if you're 15 to 18, that's just not an area that you think about very often. <laughs> I mean, hopefully no one thinks about that area a lot, but like, <laughs> they're not I, fun. They're uncomfortable. They're... I can think of several inappropriate things to say right now. I'm, I'm editing myself. So. I right. know. I'm really, I'm struggling, it's, man. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it's hard because we want to be very aware of people's boundaries and we don't want to make anyone feel like they're being intruded upon. But I also think it's important that in our society, we try our best to normalize you know, these kinds of exams and things for the purpose of you know, investigating your health, because that is, you know, that is important. And it's not, you know, these kinds of pelvic exam, you know, hopefully there might be, you know, some shady practitioners out there, but usually the the physician is doing that because they suspect that something is wrong or that we they should, truly feel it's necessary. I think, yeah. Right. Yeah. We should really work hard to disentangle, you know, this phenomenon of, you know, yeah. Yeah. Of, you know, personal insult versus like something that just medically should be done. And it sounds like in this case, maybe the research doesn't back that it should be done. But yeah. in cases that it is necessary, we should just keep that in mind. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of stuff like that in medicine, as you pointed out. I mean, there's like PSA testing, right, uh, for uh, uh, prostate specific antigen mm -hmm. um, that they basically feel like, you know, probably led to a lot of unnecessary prostate surgeries. Um for fear of cancer, even though probably those cancers are so slow growing mm -hmm. that, you know, leave them in. doesn't yeah. matter. You're going to be dead before they, before it gets you anyway. And I can also see a scenario where it might be in the best interest of a patient to just like, even if it's not likely to turn something up to just like you were saying, Daniel, to kind of get them used to having a public exam done. Mm -hmm. Like just sort of, this is what it generally looks like. Here's how things are normally done. And like, it's kind of like when in pediatrics, I remember I was shadowing someone and they were talking to um, a patient who was 11 or 12 about, you know, about this time I try to get patients, you know, parents to leave the room and then I talk one on one with patients and it's getting them to start taking control of their health. And it mm -hmm. could be part of that process as well. That's a like, good point, yeah. This mm -hmm. is part of this is going to be an important part of your health going forward. My uh, just to share a little bit of my own experience, my doctor recently uh, prepared me for the fact that uh, I'm approaching colonoscopy time yeah hey. colonoscopy time but he was you know he was doing that basically he was like well you know next few years we're gonna be looking at uh doing this and i could tell he was just like just putting that in your head now <laughs> so it's not a surprise <laughs> in the future <laughs> on the note of the pap smear test so if the physicians are um giving these tests to women under 21 i feel like we should be emphasizing though that they should be giving an hpv vaccine instead of a pap smear test like yes changing that oh yeah, yeah. you know yeah. the awareness about that sure mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sure so in on the theory that the hpv vaccine is probably more beneficial than the pap smear right itself and it's at still that a preventative age. measure right. so yeah yeah, my thought was that even if a you know eighteen year old girl comes into a, a clinic and um, you know the, the the physician asks about doing the procedure and and then if the if the girl was like, hey, so why why do you want to do this or should should this be done? I mean, I don't I don't see 
them convincing, I guess, yeah, the physician. Like, like the doctor's yeah. going to be like, man, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not that you shouldn't question what a physician does. Doesn't need I to think be that's, done. That's always great, but yeah. I just wanted to. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> okay. Well, as I mentioned at the top of the show, it is the future we are living in right now. Medicine is improving, it's changing, it's growing at a rapid pace. And it's important that you keep your head above water, even though these changes may have you off balance. So let's do a little role-playing exercise that I made up. Um, <laughs> to be, oh, good. Uh, so here's how this is going to work. Whenever Dave says, let's do this thing I made up, you always know it's going to be a great segment. <laughs> I've given you each a role uh, to play in this drama, which, except for your job title, you may not share with the rest of us. The scene is an operating room at the futuristic University of Manahak's Medical Center in the Principality of the Suns. Uh, not just any hospital, however, but one that exists in the distant techno future. Mm. As your narrator, I will guide the story and maybe I'll provide some sound effects. We'll see if I can. <laughs> oh, we're getting fully worked. We'll can... <laughs> um, so uh, here are the, uh, why don't you each announce the role that I've given you, um, but nothing else about what what's on your. Okay. Uh, Name and title. Yeah. I'm the nurse Brick Lithobran. Okay. I'm Rashida Jones, MD. Okay. My name's Millicent Belieber, and I'm a second-year medical student. Got it. <laughs> I am Rebus Grintax, and I'm a wealthy octogenarian. Yes. He's waiting for a surgery. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> an, old, like, an old, old man. An old, old That's man. That's what that means. But maybe a young, young man in the year. It could be. That, That's like, a good point. Everyone lives to 1,000 now, so 80 is, you know, infant. We haven't infancy. made that kind of progress yet in 21. 2120. Uh, um, you don't know. So, uh, actually, <laughs> break right here. I forgot to say, you're acting. Okay, so you, as old man Rebus, <laughs> you need to uh, you need to put on some old man okay. mannerisms and voices. And, All right. And and you, as as the competent okay. nurse, you need to behave in a certain way. And as the competent nurse. I don't think I've ever heard you incompetent in the same sentence. Oh, that's sweet. You're such a, so you see what I'm getting at. Okay. Um, we want this to be as realistic as possible. To pretend, pretend you're a, a standardized a patient. Have a moment to Yes, get into character. character. Okay. Okay. Are we ready? Oh, by the way, um, this these are uh, some oh. medical instruments that at some point you'll be passing out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, for context, listeners, Dave has just handed Daniel a cup of paper. <laughs> yes. Don't look at them, doctor. Don't look at them, doctor. I'm not looking at them. I'm, All right. I, I am, however, looking at a cup full of paper. It's yes. lovely. It's like a bouquet of flowers. Here we go. Uh, an automated gurney wheels into the OR, atop which a very elderly patient lies awake and comfortable, though obviously infirm. The gurney stops under the operating lamp and beeps quietly to announce it's ready. Scrub nurse Brick Lithobran follows the card in and spots Dr. Jones standing by a medical student. Both look oddly confused. Dr. Jones, what's the... Is something going on today? Why isn't the patient in surgery? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to take our time out first, obviously. We need to go over the procedure oh, okay. we're going to do with the patient. Oh, of course. Is this your first day being a scrub nurse? Oh, wow. Yeah, it, uh, it is, actually, so thank you for reminding me. Okay, well, that's They didn't that's cover good. this during my training. <laughs> that's all right. We'll walk through everything together, step by step. You're just my idol, Dr. Rashida Jones. I want to be just like you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to position you on the foot end of the bed. So okay. you can, uh, <laughs> Far away from the action. <laughs> Whatever you say. <laughs> uh, the uh, patient chooses this moment to speak, his voice quavering with age. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, Dr. Rashida Jones, I'm, I'm so ready for, for what's going to be going down today. Good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to get you taken care of. Well, th th thank you. Me, too. <laughs> wow, you're good. Uh, the nurse, Lithobran, her uh, voice suddenly all business. His voice suddenly all business. <laughs> wow, uh, Dave. Nurse Lithobran, his voice suddenly all business pipes up. 
Okay, well, I think uh, this was very nice and all, but I think we should get ready to do the procedure um, just to make sure. I think all the body parts are prepared, so we need to uh, make sure they're all ready to be... Uh, yeah, make sure we go in. Okay. Like I said, let's just take our time out, go over what we're doing. Is something the matter, Dr. Jones? You usually don't take this much time for... I thought it was your first day. Well, it's my, I had a meditative experience yesterday and I sort of reawoken, so I feel like this is my first day, but anyway, ah. this isn't, I don't know why, why are we taking so long? Is there something wrong with the, with the materials that we need for the surgery or? Like I said, I always like to take a little bit of extra time, especially since we have our medical student here. Thank oh, okay. you. <laughs> Just to make sure that everyone knows what's, uh, what's happening. We don't want any mistakes being made now, do we? No, we do not. I don't want any mistakes either. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nurse Lithobran gives in and uh, begins to talk about the surgery that will take place today. All right, so what we are about to do is a full body transplant. Um, as you know, this is pretty standard surgery. This is a pretty standard procedure, but it is very uh, complicated and you know physically intensive. So we always want to be. We want to make sure we're maximally prepared when we go into one of these. <laughs> so basically, we're we're just gonna start by um, we're gonna take out. Um, Take out the patient's heart, uh, Mr. Grintax, your heart will go out and then we'll put in a new heart and sort of like just sort of like assembling, you know, Lego, you know, like taking mm -hmm. apart a Lego building and making a new one, sort of like piece by piece. We're going to take stuff out and then add some scaffolding and put more stuff back in. So don't All worry. Right. I, I normally normal procedure, you'll be anesthetized, but hopefully okay. that will be the case. <laughs> I don't know, Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones. So will I be awake for this procedure? Um, you... Hopefully, yeah, you should not be awake. You will be yeah. asleep. The uh, surgery I, I, unless <laughs> put you out Dr. of your measure. <laughs> unless Dr. Jones objects for no, some that, surprise reason. Okay. That sounds perfectly fine to me. The surgery begins. The autogurney starts by extending an anesthesia mask to the patient's face and asks the old man to count backwards from 100. Because Nurse Lithobran and Dr. Jones have worked together on many such occasions, Nurse Lithobran knows there is no need for the doctor to ask for specific instruments. He just announces each instrument as he hands it over. Meanwhile, the medical student gamely asks Dr. Jones for some commentary on the surgery as it proceeds while the nurse continues to pass instruments along, announcing their names. All right, the colonic cutter. Okay, sounds good. Antimatter cauterizer. Uh, Dr. Sheeta Jones, do you mind explaining what that is to Cerebelloscope. Me? Ooh. No, I mean, you can I go have, slower, but... <laughs> Nurse, I have two hands. <laughs> no, this is the year 2129. Actually, most people have four hands, so I don't know what I've, you're talking about. I find that uh, two hands is much better for okay. surgery. It oh, okay. leads to fewer distractions. Very well. Please pick up the cerebelloscope from oh, off the okay. floor. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me just lick it clean. Okay. <laughs> So I guess sterile field wasn't a big issue with this one. Not a problem anymore. <laughs> That's all right. We Bacteria were eliminated during the war of grungers. Gr mean, grungers. I think you need to do some more reading on sterile field procedure. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Dr. Rashida Jones. I'll be more prepared next time. Perfectly fine. Okay. So you were asking, our colonic cutter is for cutting colons. Sure. And our antimatter cauterizer is for cauterizing. So do you know what cauterizing is? Sure. <laughs> as long as we don't do it after an alcohol prep, I think we should be good. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. Exactly. And we don't cauterize after the patient has had alcohol. I just want to point out with an antimatter cauterizer, alcohol is fine, but if it's the antimatter version of alcohol, then you're in big trouble. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My mistake. Uh, keep going. Okay. okay. Um, Hold on. Can I ask a question? <laughs> you're asleep. <laughs> I'm asleep, but, the patient's away but I thought you, were, thought you were doing my heart transplant. Why are you using a colon cutter? Actually, um, col um, it's a general term. So it's actually, it's used for both hearts and colons. Oh, it's specialized right. for colons. Right. I find it works well on a right, I'm, I'm back to sleep. Okay, good. Okay. It's this very... is good. You're, you're, as the patient, you're asking questions, <laughs> yeah. taking charge of your uh, health care. That's yeah, good. Yeah. Even um, when you're unconscious. <laughs> Next up is the cranium electroscalpel. <laughs> Do you know what that one is, Dr. Rashida Jones? Just, oh, wow. It's just a scalpel. Jeez, this is a <laughs> savage med student. <laughs> I, I don't, it's just a scalpel. Oh, it's I a smart see. scalpel, which is why it's a cranium scalpel, which is what I prefer. But oh. it's, it's a knife. 
Mm. Uh, so you're not <laughs> referencing nice. the actual cranium of the patient. You're it's just like it's no, just smart. No, no, it's so just, it has cranium okay. is the brand name, mm. and it's, it's it's the brand I prefer. That could get confusing, actually. <laughs> the, the, it was the cranium, the cranium scalpel. Well, mm -hmm. if as you know, we don't medically refer to the head as the cranium. We refer to it as the the back of the head as the occiput, mm. and so on. <laughs> well, well done. <laughs> Morphic pseudo healer. I don't know what that is. <laughs> why, why, why is that on my table? The there we go. Ah, <laughs> oh, perfect. And I, next one, please. Cerebelloscope. Well. Perfect. We're just going to use this to look in and clear all of the vessels and chambers as well. Okay. <laughs> Looks are we, good. Are we still on the heart? Yes. <laughs> Resident Dude, move tissue. Move this along. <laughs> Full body. Resident tissue supporter. Well, perfect, because this as well as our scope is what we can use to remove the heart. Squick. And Squick. <laughs> it's the sound that the hearts make. And now we're adding some structure so that the transplanted heart will sit comfortably within the cavity. It accounts for any shape changes that we may experience. So. Mm -hmm. All right. This is the big one. Protonic scalpel. Oh. Mm. This is the other scalpel I like. <laughs> is it the brand name too? It is. All right. mm -hmm. this, I like the cranium scalpel for the small procedures. This is better for the large ones, I see. Uh, suddenly, the patient's vitals dip dangerously. <gasps> Dr. Jones, the patient's vitals are dipping dangerously. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Quickly, we need to get the antimatter catheterizer thing. Catheterizer. Ah, perfect. Cauterizer. That's a different. That is a different. Thing. <laughs> Very different thing. All right, everyone, remain calm. It's fine. We're just going to. Ah, I see a bleed. And can we get an extra bolus of fluid, please? Oh, sure thing. <laughs> the medical right, student. The, oh. the medical student notices something strange. Um, Doctor Jones, is that supposed to be happening? <laughs> How very non-specific. I'm an M2. So yes, it is. Oh, okay. oh. <laughs> Quickly, use the Euro Healer. It'll it'll fix his bleeding your bladder. <laughs> very See, good. I like to think I respect my nurses, but this is why just leave the analysis to this side of the table. But it's Thank a Euro Healer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now this drapes over the patient, heals everything. Oh, wow. wow. Mm. The patient's vitals recover. <sighs> <laughs> he takes a sigh of relief. <laughs> uh, finally, the patient uh, comes to a close, or the surgery comes to a close, and Dr. Jones speaks up, trying to conceal her relief. <laughs> ah, looks like everything is good here. Have you done suturing yet, medical student? I have not, but I'd love to learn. All right, perfect. Why don't we go ahead and start our suturing? Sure. So what kind of stitch are we going to do today? Did you win the stitch contest? <laughs> We're going to do the normal stitch. <laughs> oh, perfect. I'm, sorry, sidebar, but I'm assuming that as an actual MD, I would know the real name, but I'm going to call it the normal stitch mm, for now. Yes, yes. <laughs> also known as the Lilo stitch. Thanks. Wow. <laughs> yes, we're going to do the Lilo stitch since this was quite a big incision. Very nice. Okay, we can use the uh, variable digit sanitizer for that. Ah, just to perfect. clean just to clean okay, first. Squirt, squirt your fingers. And then there we go. Um, and I'll squirt my fingers. Perfect. All right. And then the uh, <laughs> it's variable it's variable because people's digits are some people's digits are less clean than others and I needs mean, to be right. variable. Exactly. It's standardized. You can't mm -hmm. clean all the digits the same, otherwise, you know. Mm -hmm. And then the atomic brace should help seal with the ceiling. Ah, perfect. I thought you were gonna do sound effects. I forgot. <laughs> well, here, atomic brace. <laughs> the patient awakens. No, now you're you're your whole new man. How do you feel? You had a full Ooh. body transplant. Oh, I feel I feel really good. <laughs> do you guys do everything you planned on doing? Everything mm. except for uh, we're just finishing suturing now. We'll just keep. Wow. <laughs> we woke you up a bit early, but we're. <laughs> I guess with my my new body, I I can be awake as yeah, you're suturing you it up. Exactly. Anymore, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ooh. after all, this is the future, so this is a very simple process. Yeah, we right. try to keep patients under anesthesia for as little time as possible. 
That's possible. Excuse me. Hmm. And scene. <laughs> <laughs> you guys did very well. That was terrifying. You guys did very well. I, I went in in uh, in making this exercise. I sort of envisioned. Uh, just the whole body being removed and then replaced with another body. <laughs> but I like where you went with that. You went very much more uh, micro very than I... Very heart focused. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, man. Replacing individual components. I didn't really consider that as a possibility, but... Complete uh, body transplant. So I was picturing like each each segment. Well, like, I guess it could have just been you take out the brain and then you put yeah. it in a new body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that That's what I was yeah. really going with uh, that in my brain. That would explain all of the cranium related. <laughs> yeah. oh. I feel like I took like, here's what I envisioned because we started with the heart. I envision we do the heart transplant and then that thing at the end is like, and now the rest of the body just gets done. It's like heart outwards. Okay. <laughs> it just mm. morphs. Yeah. Although I, I think envisioning. you would start with the body and then work your way in because like if you've transplanted the heart and then you get rid of the body... <laughs> No, because what's the, the, does the, is the where's the heart now? No, the just heart build can, a new structure. Yeah, the heart the, contains whatever that thing was. I don't know if you knew this as a medical fact, but the heart contains all the tissue needed to build a new body. Oh, that's I did not know. That's that. why if you cut someone's heart out and you leave it on the ground long enough, it eventually a new person will form. It's like when you cut a worm oh. in half. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's fascinating. Yeah, and then the person grows a new heart. It's really cool. And the Shortcode Podcast generates a new generation of <laughs> psychopaths. <laughs> Uh, wait, wait, are we allowed to reveal our character? Oh, yeah, yeah, go I'm ahead. curious. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, oh, I guess I'll start then. Everyone's just staring at me. <laughs> okay. At the moment, you find yourself in an operating room that is very futuristic compared to what you're used to. It's as if you've been transported to the future. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea what's going on, but you know that you must not divulge the confusion you feel about this unfamiliar location. The weird instruments the scrub nurse had laid out before him are all the other strange differences. Yeah, mine was, um, yeah, you notice that Dr. Jones looks a bit different, but, but you can't put your finger on how. So my first thought was maybe she came in drunk or something. Uh. And then uh. my second thought, though I didn't say it out loud, was maybe you were like replaced by some, you were like killed and replaced by some robot, like some alien. <laughs> Ooh, that would have been smart of me. That would have been, that would have advanced, that would have advanced the but plot. The thing is, if you had been, I couldn't say that because then I would be next. So, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. The, the thing that I'd kind of forgotten about was that I didn't know if I knew any of you. So it was mm. like, Oh right. You almost got me with that first day gamut. So mine was you're a very you're a second year medical student, very interested in pursuing a surgical career, and so are anxious to soak in as much knowledge as you can from the great Dr. Rashida Jones, an Aww. experienced transplant surgeon. Mm. Yeah, and there wasn't there wasn't much backstory for you because you're the medical student. Right. Medical students aren't allowed to have backstories apparently. That's Dave of the matter. short code podcast for all you aspiring doctors out there. I'm from the perspective of the others in the room, you know. Okay. And 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 then as as the patient, like I said, I was a wealthy octogenarian doing a complete body transplant, and you know I, I have complete faith in my surgeon, Dr. Rashida Jones, an experienced transplant surgeon who specializes in this procedure, which is common in this day and age of the 21st century. Um, but yeah, Dr. Jones looks a bit differently today, and I can't quite put my finger on it. But never mind, uh, all will be well, as there are surely no medical mysteries for the great. Dr. Jones. You covered, oh. you, you covered your ignorance uh, pretty well. Very good. All right. Well, that is our show. Uh, Miranda, Art, Mahek, Mahek. You did right. Mahek, yeah, right. Yep. Daniel, thank you for being my co-host today. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. And of course, thank you, Shortcodes, for making us a part of your week. If you're new here and you like what you heard today, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are available. Shortcoats, please visit theshortcoat.com slash store to buy some stickers, proceeds benefiting the Patient Advocate Foundation. And I remind you that your questions are vital to this show because they mean the show can be what you want it to be about. Send questions and comments to theshortcoats at gmail.com or you can leave a message at 347-SHORT-CT. We'll talk about that instead of this poorly thought out drivel that I came up with. <laughs> well, while your podcast app is open, give us some more stars and review and let us know if we're doing right by you. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox, and our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. Bye!